everyone, and welcome to another episode of Keeping Them Safe, the podcast dedicated to empowering you as adults and responsible parents to create safe environments that protect our children from the risk of sexual predators. Last episode, we spoke about a study that was conducted in Australia some time back um, that found that there is a crime script for predators. Uh, These were criminologists, if you recall, that were looking at sexual predators from the view of, is there a crime script? They are uh, criminologists and um, have studied different kinds of crimes, property crimes, burglaries, to see there are steps that predators go through from beginning to end. They applied their expertise in looking at and developing theories about crime scripts to sexual predators to see if there was a script for them. Again, they ask a different question than we did, but they got similar responses because they were simply looking from a different perspective. So in our last uh, conversation, we talked about how those findings reinforced what we've been saying in keeping them safe conversations about how important it is to identify certain potentially risky adult behaviors in our environment and how critical it is that we interrupt those behaviors because they could actually be the groundwork for a sexual predator to gain access to our children. It went a little bit further, and it asked those convicted felons, <laughs> those convicted child molesters, some other questions that are really vital and critical to us. They ask them some questions about the real practical how-tos of accomplishing some of those steps that they went through. So in today's conversation, I want to share with you some of the things the predators had to say about how it is they actually fulfill on those potentially risky behaviors and make them part of a grooming process. So as I said before, the question they asked in the study was, how do you do this? And their answers gave us more than, I give gifts. I begin touching in simple ways and escalate that. I gain access to them by cultivating relationships with their parents. No, their answers went beyond that and talked about the most common ways they accomplished each one of those things and the most common strategies that they used. So that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to share with you some of the things that these convicted predators had to say about how they get done, what they're out to accomplish when their goal is to prey on our children. The first thing we asked them was, what is the what are the most common ways that you actually structure time with children? Again, if they don't have time alone with kids, they cannot molest them. 
So uh, the first thing, the very first thing they said, the number one answer was they volunteer. They volunteer to spend time with the child with the knowledge of the parents, of their wife, of the their husband, of their girlfriend or boyfriend. They volunteer to spend time with the child with their knowledge. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody who volunteers to spend time with our child is a potential child molester. It does mean, however, that when those occasions occur, as we said in the last uh, conversation we had, you want to get real details about the activity, the time it's taking place, who else is going to be present. And then you want to check in with your child before and after to make sure everything was cool. The second most common way that they structure time with children is watching television with them or watching a video with them or watching something on their screen, on the iPad screen or on the telephone screen. Watching shows the child is interested in watching. Most of them, we don't have any interest in watching. And a lot of us give our kids that screen to keep them busy, to keep them occupied so we can get something else done during that time. These potential predators watch TV with them, watch shows they love. The third most common way they structured time with the kids was letting the child sleep in the same bed with them on overnight visits. Something you as a parent or a responsible adult can put a stop to before it ever happens. The fourth way was going for rides in the car with the child. They volunteer to take the child places. They say, oh, I'm going to, I'll just drop them off or I'll pick them up. You don't have to go to. It occurs to us like we're getting a reprieve and getting a free few minutes to accomplish something else. Remember, you want to get details about that. You want to speak to your child about that. You want to not be relying on it. And the fifth most common way that they structured time with a child was to offer to assist parents and caregivers with rides to activities or events. Oh, I'm going to the soccer practice anyway. I'll just take your child too. Boy, is that great. I'm going to be coaching the baseball team, the t-ball team, um, the soccer team, the field hockey team. Uh, my kids in the, in the play also. Uh, we're going to be at choir practice too. That's fine, as long as everyone takes a turn. This is the person who always offers to do that. This is the person who always wants to give you a little time off by taking your child to activities or events. Now, these are the most common ways that predators structured time with the child. That doesn't mean that everyone who does these things is a predator. But as I said, it does mean that these are incidents, these are occasions, these are engagements and relationship uh, occurrences 
where you need to have your antenna up. You need to pay close attention. You need to speak to your child before and after. You need to set rules and you need to make sure that it's not one person all the time taking your child. So the next thing, the most common strategies that they use to groom parents. There are three of these that were high on their list. And then you're going to hear them reinforce some of the ways they structured time with kids because that's how it works. It all comes together like it's woven together in a tapestry that has as its objective binding your child and trapping your child. And not surprising, the very first thing on their list, the number one common strategy was to make friends with the parent or the caregiver. They make friends with you. They cultivate a relationship with you. They appear to be people who have come to get up underneath you and support you. And another way is that they spend time with the child while you are there. They think that that is one of the ways that they can gain trust with you. Spending time with your child while you're present, while you can see them interacting with your child. The third way is the one we talked about several times in this series of conversations and in the earlier conversation about how they structure time with the child. And that is by helping parents with transportation. But they go beyond that. They help with projects around the house. They help with activities. These are people who unsolicited offer their assistance to you to complete a project, to complete an activity. They are grooming parents in this way. Now, not everyone who makes friends with you or spends time with you and your kids or helps you with transportation and projects around the house and activities is grooming you to gain access to your children. But again, you need to keep a healthy suspicion about the adults that are interacting with you and your kids so that you have your eye on the potential risks that show up and can put a stop to them when they go beyond simple support and generosity. All right, the next question we asked them and the next piece of information we got was about how they develop trust with that child. So we talked about how do they structure time with them, and now we're going to talk about next step for them, developing trust with a child they intend to victimize. The first thing is spending a lot of time with the child. Now, if you notice that, you know, if you notice that and you pay attention to that, you can actually draw that line pretty quickly. Many offenders don't attempt any sexual contact with a child for several months or even perhaps a year. So you want to notice if there's an adult who is spending a lot of time with your child. And that's the one that you kind of want to interrupt and intervene with 
make sure there's no risk. Now, look, when my uh, children were growing up, my son had an extraordinarily great relationship with a neighbor of ours across the street. The thing is, there was never anything inappropriate and almost never were they alone together. Even when that adult would invite my son over or my son would say, could I go over to John's house? There was always someone else there, either the uh, man's teenage son or his wife were almost always present or he was interacting with my son outside. He called me a lot to make sure I knew what was going on. So it isn't just about spending a lot of time with the child. It's about how does that offender uh, conduct that time? How is that time spent and how does that offender relate to you in the process because there was never, ever, ever anything inappropriate between John and my son, but they spent a lot of time together. And as adults, they continued to be very close friends. Doesn't mean he was a risk, but that's because of all those other factors that he ensured that everybody could see there was nothing inappropriate about the relationship. Instinctively, that person had no intention to do harm, so he instinctively cultivated an appropriate relationship. Someone who spends a lot of time with the child and continues to do that in an isolated way or in a way that draws the child toward them and away from parents and interactions with parents, that is someone you want to interrupt and intervene with. Another common way they have of developing trust is by giving that child a lot of attention. Attention the child may not be getting at home. You know, maybe this is the middle child. And everyone has their attention on the oldest and the youngest, or maybe there are just a lot of children. This person gives the child a lot of attention. And another way they cultivate that trust is by touching them non-sexually. Pats on the back, side hugs, gentle slaps up the side of the head. They also say nice things about the child. They speak to others in a way the child can hear them and say nice things about the kids. And then, of course, there is just like watching television with the child and watching the shows the child wants to watch. They do things with the child that the child wants to do. As parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles, we are often doing stuff with the child that we want to do, or we are deciding what everybody needs to be doing, and we do that. This person does things with the child that the child wants to do. And then that last piece that we spoke to them about was what are the strategies, the most common strategies that you use to get the child to go with you to another location, to a location where sexual contact could take place. The first thing 
we spoke about in our last conversation is about promising rewards and privileges. That can be something as simple as saying, look, if you want to get on the internet and get around those limitations your parents have put on it, come on over to my house. Or I've got that particular video game, or I've got that particular song or music, and you can come listen to it there. Or my wife baked your favorite cake yesterday. She's gone this afternoon, but I saved a piece for you. Come on by the house. Rewards and privileges. Another thing they do, another strategy that they use to get the child to go with them to another location is they tell the child repeatedly that they can be trusted. You can trust me. You know I care about you. You know that I wouldn't do anything to harm you. You know that I love you. Predators say all that stuff and children believe them. And you think they shouldn't believe them, but I want you to look in your own lives and see how gullible and manipulative or manipulated you are or have been in certain relationships. Adults are gullible and adults get the same kind of conversations going on and trust them. Kids are no different. They're just more vulnerable to it. Another way, another strategy that predators use is defending the child against bullies. That predator will stand up for them. And the, another way to get them to go somewhere is to tell them that they were off to do something fun. Come on, we're going to go do this. How about let's go do this? Let's go see this. You remember you wanted to see that. And then... The last of these common strategies that they shared with us is that sometimes they actually give the child money, toys, or sweets. In that study, there were 323 perpetrators that participated. More than half of them also admitted that they were victims of child sexual abuse themselves. And most of them reported the abuse at some point and did receive some therapeutic counseling after disclosing. Now, we've known for a long time that many offenders were also molested. That doesn't mean that everyone who gets molested becomes an offender. But of the people who molest children, many of them have also been molested. This study in Australia also tells us that whatever intervention they received as a child victim was not effective in interrupting their own sexually deviant behavior with children. Some therapies are quite effective in that regard, but it's important for therapists to know that this that whatever they're doing is not always working and to have that as a uh, therapeutic objective in their intervention with children to create a new world for that child such that the sexually deviant behavior of that child does not go forward. You know, um, the second thing that was startling in the study was that by more than 20% of the offenders said that the parents of their victims were aware 
of the sexual contact with the children and never reported the incidents to law enforcement. Again, parents and other adults make up excuses and reasons and justifications for not reporting. And listen, we know that from studies conducted on adult survivors. In particular, adult survivors of clergy sexual abuse. The tendency of the parents to hush up these offenses is something we have to keep reminding everyone. We have to speak up and speak out when abuse is disclosed. We have to stand up for kids. We have to be their voice. They're counting on us. And we're worried about what the other adult who might be accused is going to think of us when it's over. No. We need to have our attention on how we're going to protect that child. Um, so uh, this study that we've been looking at, many of the actions that are articulated by offenders in the interviews conducted through this study reinforce the messages we've been sharing since the beginning of this podcast. And through this study and looking at this information, we can start to offer people, you and the others around you, people who participate in our programs and other programs that are similar to it, such as protecting God's children and protecting all children, we can start to offer them a few more things to be aware of and take note of in their interactions with other adults and children. You know, um, for example, one of the ways, as I said, that perpetrators secure a trusting relation with child victims is defending them against bullies. Pay attention to that and make sure that as parents and responsible adults and educators and teachers and coaches, we step in to ensure that a child has this support and bullying gets stopped. Don't let anybody else take on the role of that child's sole protector. You're the parent, you're the caregiver, you're the grandparent, aunt or uncle. You're the one to whom the child means the most. Step up. Be their advocate. And you know, Think about how predators gain that trusting relationship with kids that give them access and start to do things with them. I noticed my son-in-law and my teenage grandson last night was, you know, trick-or-treat. So mom and I were um, costumed and at the front door greeting trick-or-treaters. My, my son-in-law and his teenage son were watching a movie together. And I could hear them saying, okay, put on a pause because one of them had to go get a sandwich or put on pause because somebody had to go get something to drink. I went in to watch the movie and thought, oh, this I am never going to enjoy. But there was dad and there was teenage son watching that television together. Now it's a dad and a teenage son. Probably lots of things they enjoy doing together. In fact, there are. But there are also lots of things they don't enjoy doing together. However, 
What I saw last night was indicative of the kind of thing we need to be doing with our kids all the time. And that is picking things like opportunities to watch television, playing a video game, doing a particular activity, picking things they like to do, not always letting them follow us and do what we want to do. We're the gatekeepers of the safe environments we promote. So use this information that we're giving you in these podcasts to reinforce the message to every adult that we've got to be really diligent in our efforts to ensure that all our environments are safe for all of our children. This is Sharon Doty with Keeping Them Safe, a podcast dedicated to empowering you as responsible adults to keep and create and maintain safe environments for all children, the environments where we know our kids are safe from the reaches of the sexual predators in our environment who would take away their innocence. If you have questions or comments, please contact me at swdkeepingthemsafe at gmail.com or give me a call at 918-625-6079 and leave me a message. I'll be happy to call you back. Thank you for tuning in. We look forward to being with you next time. Keeping them safe. Oh,